I'd like to begin by having all of us do a little mental exercise. There's, there's a point I'd like to make, um, and I'd like to do it in this way. I'd like you to, you can close your eyes, you can keep them open, it doesn't matter, but I want you to think in your mind about everything that you have in this life materially. You're not going to be able to do it in, in two minutes. But I want you to start in your kitchen and open up the drawers in your kitchen and think about all the stuff that's in those drawers. And then start opening up your cabinets and make a mental inventory of your cookware and all of your appliances. And then I'd like you to go through closets in your house and start taking inventory of the clothes that you have and opening up cabinets and chests and drawers in the rooms in your house and thinking through all the things that you own. And from there, go into your basement and, and rummage through the stuff, that the boxes that are there. Uh, then go into the attic and rummage through what's there. And then go out to the garage if you have one or a shed if you have one and think through all of the things that you own. And then, when you've done that, you list it all out, every item, I want you to think about your money. And not how much you have in the bank right now. I want you to think about from the time you were born until this moment, how much money has flowed through you. I don't, I, you know, I don't know how much it would be. You, you take your income per year that you've been working for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and multiply it out. And think of how much money has been given to you over your lifetime. Not just what you've amassed and accumulated, but it's come and gone. Yeah. Where did all this come from? We came into the world without any clothes, without any money, without a name, without anything. And we walk through this life, and when we're finished with life, we, we have these things. Where did they come from? You can answer. I think, as a believer in Christ, the only true answer to that question is from God. God is sovereign, is he not? God existed before the creation of the world, and at, at, a, at a top level, even our lives are from him. He created the earth. He made us. He allowed us to be born in the time that we were born. And everything that we have, no matter, no matter what way you look at it, Everything ultimately comes from God and will go back to him in the end. Psalm 37 verse 25 says, I have been young and now am old, and yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Why? Because God takes care of his people. Matthew 6, 31 and 32. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or with what shall we be clothed? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. Food, drink, clothing, wealth. Your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. Matthew 7, 11. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, 
How much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them who ask him? Luke 12. Even the very hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And obviously God feeds them. John 21, 6. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. They cast, therefore, and now they were not able to draw in the net for the multitude of fish. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Philippians 4, 19. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Where does our stuff come from? It comes from God. God provides for us. And as believers, we understand that that means all of our possessions, all of our money, all of our property comes from God. I don't think there's one of us here that if we were standing before God and were asked that question, would say, well, I earned that. That's mine. And say that to him. I don't think we would. We'd say, thank you, God, for giving me what you gave me. I want to get a little bit more specific with this thought. Not only did all of our material possessions come through God, every single one of them came through people. You stop and think about that. Because, you know, when we talk about giving, there's, a, there's a, an angst. There's a, oh no, I have to think about this, my money. And there's, there's kind of a selfish pride that, that creeps in when we start talking about possessions and money. But stop and think about this for a minute. We, we acknowledge, and we just did, we read a lot of scripture, that God is the one who provides all of our material things. And we, we theologically agree with that, and we say, yes, amen, God, God provides. But when you came into this world, where did that first blanket come from that wrapped you? Did God float it down from heaven? No, it was probably either your mother or a nurse or a doctor or a hospital or somebody provided that blanket for you and they gave it to you so you wouldn't be cold. Where did that first bite of food come from? Ah, more likely your mother in that one. But it could have been somebody who bought some formula and gave it to you in a bottle. Who provided that bottle? Who provides that food? Somebody did. Where did your first dollar come from? You think back. I don't remember when my first, it was probably my grandfather. I don't know. More likely mom or dad. Gave us things. We had food and clothes growing up. We lived in a house, late at night on a bed. Where did all these things come from? I didn't make them. I didn't provide them for myself. Ultimately, they came through people. I was sitting at uh, my desk at home studying for this, and I took a quick inventory of just the stuff on my desk. I should do this sometime. It's kind of fun. There was a printer. There were several CDs laying around, a lamp, many books, a computer mouse, and a mouse pad with an American flag on it. 
an American flag sitting in a pencil holder, and another one sitting up on the shelf. I have two American flags there. Computer speakers, paperweights. One of them was a little paperweight from Italy, made out of marble. Uh, a battery-operated pencil sharpener. A four-gigabyte secure disk card that goes in the, the uh, camera. There was uh, sticky notes, a safety pin, a coffee mug, a globe of the world, my Bible, the computer itself and the monitor, lots of pens and pencils scattered around, a trash can underneath the desk, there was copy paper for the printer, a calendar up on the wall, a thumb drive where I could bring files back and forth to the church, a stapler, a tape measure, and a flashlight, all sitting on my desk in front of me. And I probably missed a whole bunch of stuff. And to be honest with you, I don't know where it all came from. I don't remember buying it all. I'm sure I bought some of it. Probably Teresa bought some of it. Some of it I might have accidentally brought home from church and put it on my desk. I don't know where it all came from. And yet here they are. I have it. It's in my possession. These are material things. And uh, just take one of them, for example, the, the little stapler that was sitting on my desk. How did that stapler get to me? God, in his sovereignty, somehow worked in the mind of somebody who said, we need to stick papers together. How are we going to do this? And someone invented this little machine that we called a stapler. Who did that? I have no idea. I should have looked it up before I got up here so I could tell you. But somebody did. God worked in that man's or woman's life to come up with this little invention and patented it, made it, and then other people took it and started making it. There was plastic there, so somebody had to know how to produce plastic. There was, there was aluminum. Somebody had to mine the aluminum and get it somewhere and forge it and, and work with it so that it's shaped in the, right, in the right shape. Some of it's probably steel in there, too. Somebody physically built it somewhere. Somebody transported it to a store. Somebody started a store in a chain of stores that ended up in my town so I could just go and get it and then pay for it. And there it is. So in the end, I say, well, God provided that stapler. Right? We could say that about anything that we own, but how did that stapler get here? There was a whole slew of people that I've never met that made it possible for me to get that stapler, which I enjoy using, by the way. It clicks nicely. And when I need papers stuck together, I didn't do my, I didn't staple this because I need to pull them apart. But when I need them stuck together, I like, I like stapling. It's, you know, click, it's nice. It's God's grace to me. He gave that to me. I'm being a little funny, but yeah. And on top of that, I might be able to say, or I might be tempted to say, I bought that stapler with my own money that I earned. Well, again, go back. Where did I come from? I was born of God originally. God allowed that to happen. Who gave the gifts and talents that I have in order to be able to earn the money to get the stapler? God. But I took those gifts and made something of it, and so I deserve it. I worked. I earned that money. Okay. So if that's the case, and you think you're so smart, just in your mind right now, eliminate everybody else from the, from the face of the planet so it's just you. How much money are you going to have now? 
And where are you going to get it? We need each other. The CEO of the biggest company in the world has no money if nobody's going to buy anything. We need each other. God's gifts come to us through each other. It is grace. Everything that we have comes either directly or indirectly through people from God. I want to shift gears just a little bit with you. When we say that God supplies all of our needs, we're talking about a part of God's character called grace. We just sang about it. Grace unmeasured, vast and free. God gives to us freely everything that we have. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we know these verses. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. And I want you to see the connection between grace and giving. Because those two things are equal. When God exercises his grace toward you, he gives to you. And so when we give to others, I'm going to jump ahead here a little bit and give you the main point. When we give to others, what are we doing? We are just an instrument in God's hand as he exercises his grace to somebody else. It's exactly what's happening when we give. James 4, 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Romans 6 says, For sin will no, have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under... Aren't you glad? Romans 11, verse 6, But if it is by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. And we're speaking theologically about salvation. We know that we cannot earn our salvation. We don't buy it. We don't pay for it. We can't pay for it. It's impossible. It's all by grace. God did what needed to be done and gave it to us out of love. I like this one, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary... I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. That's really to the point. Everything that we have, everything that we do, the work that we do, what we accomplish is God's grace. He allows us to do it, and he gives us those things. And he uses us to exercise grace to others. 2 Timothy 4.22, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Romans 3.24, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 4, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. When we're in trouble, we run to God and expect him to give to us because of who he is. John 1, 16, speaking about Christ, and from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Numbers chapter 6, the end of that benediction, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
1 Timothy 6, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Why? (laughs) Because their money doesn't really belong to them in the first place. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Kind of the opposite of this, uh, Jude, verse 4, in a warning, he says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people, who pervert the grace of God into sensuality. They change the idea that God is the God of grace, and they change it into something else that it's not. It's what the world has done. And they deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that we have is a result of the grace of God, his grace in our life. Without him, we would be nothing and we would have nothing. And everything that we have is a result of the grace of God working through others so that we can enjoy the things that we have. And so what I'd like to do this morning is just, again, emphasize the fact that giving, and we're going to talk about giving in just a minute, giving to the church, regular church giving, giving to the ministry. Giving is the extension of God's grace through you to someone else. And if you can't see it like that, then giving really doesn't make a whole lot of sense because, you know, we're only here for a short period of time and we want to get as much as we can before we go away and enjoy as much as we can before we can't enjoy it anymore. And we have these thoughts that are basically self-centered thoughts about I want to do I, and, and we don't realize and we don't think about the fact that even those things are God's grace to us. You are, I am, we are together the instrument of God's grace when we give. I think the grace of God, just in a little parenthesis here, is most clearly seen in the gospel. We read Ephesians 2 where it says, it is by grace that you were saved. It is the gift of God. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We know this from Romans chapter 3 and from experience. We, we cannot keep the law of God. And the wages of sin is death. We will all give account of the things done in our body, whether good or bad, before God. It's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. But God provided a way for us to to be at that judgment and be justified before him. And it was through his plan of salvation through Christ, because of his love. God so loved the world that he gave, there's the gift again, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Paul says it another way, God commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. All of it, our salvation, the gospel itself, is an evidence and a great illustration of God's grace. I'd like to share with you 10 principles this morning of giving. 
And you can take notes if you want, or you can try to jot them in your head, but these are things that have helped me in my life as I've thought about uh, my own financial situation and, and how I can get involved with what God is doing, both in my church and with missionaries and, and others. I'd like you to turn to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We're going to be bouncing back and forth between these two chapters. These two chapters, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, are the clearest and lengthiest portions of the New Testament that deal with giving. And point number one out of the ten is one that I already gave you, but I'll say it again just for emphasis, and that is giving is the extension of the grace of God through you. Giving is the extension of the grace of God through you. As Paul writes to the Corinthians about their giving and encourages them, I want you to notice in chapter 8, verse 1, how many times the word grace pops up in this passage. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you what? The grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. And so there's an equality here between the giving that the church of Macedonia did and God's grace. They are equal. They are the same thing. Verse 7, but just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty, poverty might become rich. Chapter 9, verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound toward you. How does he do that? By giving you what you need? That's what the next phrase means, that always having all sufficiency in everything, God gives you what you need, you will have an abundance for every good deed. Chapter 9, verse 14, while they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. So point number one, giving is the extension of God's grace. It's how he does it through you. And that's an exciting thing. You know, giving is more than just dropping a dollar in the plate. You realize there's, there's a divine happening when we give to others and when we give to the work. Number two, these are just principles. I'm going to go right through them. Anyone can give, regardless of their economic situation. There are two illustrations in the Bible that come clearly to mind. One of them is right here in 2 Corinthians 8, and that was the Macedonian churches. And if you look in verse 2, what was their situation? It says that in a great ordeal of affliction, what does that mean? They were being pressured by those outside the church because of their faith. They were being persecuted. Great ordeal of affliction. Their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. They were not rich. In fact, they were just the opposite. They were in deep poverty, depth of poverty. Not just poor. Today, in America, we buy things that we don't need with money that we don't have so we can impress people that we don't know. And if we can't, we call ourselves poor. 
I don't think we know real poverty, honestly. What was the other illustration that the, the widow's might? In Luke chapter, I think it's 21. I wrote this one down. Yeah, Luke 21, verses 1 through 4. He looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury, and he saw a certain poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them, for out of their surplus they put into the offering, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. It doesn't matter where we are economically. And the grace of God comes to all of us in different ways and in, in different measure. There are some people, somebody just won the Powerball last night. Did you read that? $590 million. One ticket. They, they calculated that in Massachusetts, if they get the lump sum, it would be $367 million. And after taxes, that would be a, a, a total payout of $263 million. God's grace. Flowing to someone in a huge way, although I doubt they'll recognize it's from God. Others struggle to put food on the table. God's grace comes in different measure, different amounts, different ways. And wherever we are, it really doesn't matter. Giving is a discipline of every Christian, no matter where we are. And I think that there's thought that, you know, if I only had, and we come up with some arbitrary amount or some arbitrary number, if I only was able to get this promotion, then I would be able to give. Or if I only had this, then I would be able to give. It's, it's just not true. Anybody can. And the illustration here, which I believe is accurate and truthful, God put it here for us, is that the Macedonian believers, out of their depth of poverty, gave liberally, beyond their ability, and with joy. So it can be done. Anyone can give, regardless of economic condition. Third, giving begins by giving yourself. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. This means everything. We owe God everything. We ought to give God everything, our time, our talents, and our money. You know, Jesus made more reference to money than he did to love. You know, Jesus made more reference to money than he did to heaven or hell. Why do you think that is? I think money has a way of exposing what's in our heart. This is why he came down so hard on the Pharisees who wanted everybody to know how much they were giving. All of their prayer, their alms, their fasting, and their giving was done publicly in the streets so that people could see them. And Jesus said, no, when you give your alms, do it in secret to the Lord. And somehow money has a way of kind of exposing what's, what's really in our hearts. Because we say things, but then when it comes down to it, I don't know if we mean it or not. Giving, financial giving, has to begin with giving yourself. That's where it starts. In verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 8, where we're looking, that's exactly what the Macedonian church did. He says, And this, not as we had expected, 
They weren't expecting anything from the Macedonians. But they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to give our lives completely and totally over to the Lord so that we recognize that everything that we have is not really ours but his? It's where it starts. Fourth, giving should be sacrificial. I think sometimes we approach giving in a wrong way in that we wait till the last minute and just kind of give what's left. How did the Macedonian church give? Out of their poverty. Do you think it was easy for them to do that? I doubt it. I think it was hard. I think it might have been easy for those rich men who were putting all of their, their large sums of money into the treasury that Jesus was watching. That was easy for them. It wasn't easy for the widow to put in those two copper coins. Jesus didn't commend the large gifts that these men were giving. It's not the amount that matters. It's the heart that matters. It's the sacrifice that we make that matters because we know that what we have belongs to him. They gave not only out of their poverty, but beyond their ability. Verse 3. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. It probably hurt. It probably was not easy for them to do that, and yet they did, and it becomes an example for us. Fifth, giving must be generous. I want you to look at the words that Paul uses throughout this passage. Look in verse 2. How did the Macedonians give? That in a great ordeal of affliction, they're what? Abundance. What's abundance mean? I looked it up. A very large quantity of something. Look at verse 7. But just as you, what? Abound in everything. In, and he lists it out. In faith and utterance and knowledge and earnestness, the things that God has done and worked in our lives. We, the, the love that we inspired in you. See that you abound in this gracious work too. What's it mean to abound? Something that abounds exists in large numbers. Again, that's straight out of the dictionary. That's what it means to abound. Look at verse 20. Taking precaution that no one should discredit us in our administration of this, what kind of gift? Generous. Generous. Dictionary definition. Showing a readiness to give more of something, as in money or time. The gift that the Macedonians gave was generous. And then in chapter 9, verse 5, So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they should go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised, there's another word, bountiful gift. Bountiful. Again, large in quantity, abundant, giving generously. So I looked up these words, abundance, abound, generous and bountiful, which Paul was encouraging the Corinthians to be in this way. You know what the opposite of it is? These are just straight antonyms from the thesaurus. Stingy, meager, scarce, tight-fisted, insufficient, lacking, wanting, sparse, not enough. So that's the way God doesn't want us to give. It has to be generously. Sixth, Giving must be planned. It must be planned. Again, I think 
people, some people, not necessarily here at Fellowship, but I think they wait until the need shows up, and that's okay too. We can give spontaneously. We've given spontaneously to things. But generally speaking, when you don't plan for something, what happens? Nothing. You don't plan for your vacation. Are you going? Probably not. You don't plan ahead, then nothing happens. And the verse that I want you to look at is chapter 9, verse 7. It says, let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart. He has purposed in his heart. He's thought it through. He's thought about his goals and how he's going to accomplish those goals. That's purposing. Daniel purposed in his heart in the Old Testament not to eat of the, the king's meat. And he planned not to do it, so he didn't. And when the time came, he refused it. And he trusted in God. The same thing. Purpose in your heart. Don't wait. Seventh, giving must be done from the heart and not coerced. There's a lot of pressure in our world not just from the economy that we're in, but from group after group after group of people who have needs and they want money. We get calls all the time, like you do probably, from the March of Dimes or the local police association or the fireman's boot or whatever it is, you know, raising money for, um, for the Seoul School over in Salem. They're, they're doing a, a massive renovation to the school that Nathan's in, so they're asking for money. And we, we get this pressure from, from all around. And sure, we need, to, we need to decide and make informed decisions about how we're going to give. But giving has to come from the heart and not be coerced. Chapter 9, verse 7 again. Let each one do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. That's the wrong way to give. For God loves a cheerful giver. Again, back in chapter 8, verse 2 again, talking about the Macedonians, that in a great deal of affliction, their abundance of joy, <laughs> it was a joy to them to give. It was from their heart. That's where it came from. Eighth, giving should be according to your ability. According to your ability. Two sides of this coin, as I was thinking about this. How much are we able to give? Well, I think that depends on a number of things. It depends on how much we have and you know, how much grace God has given to us. And so we're limited. I would love to write a million dollar check to somebody. That would be so cool. Don't think I can. Last I looked, there wasn't enough zeros in my bank account. Maybe someday there will be. I don't know. God may be gracious that way. Who knows? But my ability to give is limited by what God has given to me, obviously. But I think that in general, we don't give ourselves enough credit. And we tend to say, I can't, more quickly than we say, I'm able, when you think of ability. What can we do? What are we able to do? I think we are able to do more than we think. The flip side of that is don't get caught up into the, the faith-giving movement. I don't know what all of you think about it, but I know that there are times I've watched programs where uh, the, the person up front is trying to get commitments from people for certain amounts of money and people make these commitments without having the money 
or any possibility, at least in their minds, of getting the money. I'll commit to $15,000 in the next two months. Great. And so we promise that, promise giving, faith giving, and we just believe that God's going to bring that money to us so that we can give it. I think that's more testing God than anything else. And I don't think we should get caught up in that. Giving should be according to our ability. He says it three times in this passage. I won't read all the verses. Ninth, giving will always result in the blessing of God. You think about it in terms of yourself. How much blessing, how many blessings has God given to you? We sing the song, count your blessings, name them one by one. And we ought to. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We ought to be thankful and count our blessings and be thankful for what God gives. And when we start to think about it, God has blessed us a ton. But what happens to the giver? He's blessed too. We've seen that in operation in our own life, in our family's life. We've seen it in operation in the church. When we give to people, the blessing flows both ways. The person who receives gets a great blessing from what they're receiving, and the person who gives receives a great blessing from God in multiple ways. Chapter 9, verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. That's the blessing of God. And when we give, God blesses. It's just true. It, it works that way. That's, that's the nature of God. It's how his grace operates. Giving will always result in blessing to both the recipient and to you. And lastly, number 10, and this I know you know is true, but we'll say it anyway. We can't outgive God. No matter what we give and how big we think that gift might be, we can't outgive God. He's, he owns everything in, in you know, we're, we're responsible. I'm responsible for me and my family. That's six people. God gives grace to billions all over the face of the planet. Every moment, every day, every minute, every year, every decade, every century, God has provided for the people who lived on this earth. That's his grace. And he is able to make this grace abound to us for we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet though for your sake he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. We can't, we can't ever give more than that. God gave it all. Let me run through them one more time. We'll close. Remember, giving is the extension of God's grace through you. Anyone can give, regardless of economic condition. You must first give yourself to God before you give financially. Giving should be sacrificial. Giving should be generous. Giving should be planned. Giving should be done from the heart, not coerced. Giving should be according to your ability. Giving will always result in God's blessing both to the recipient and to the giver. And remember that God has already given more than we can ever give. And when we participate in it, we're just a part of what he's sovereignly doing in the lives of others.
Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for the opportunity to meet this morning and thank you for your word. I pray that as we contemplate these things that you might challenge us as we move ahead in the life of Fellowship Bible Church um, to be able to give out of the abundance of what you've given so that this church might grow. I pray, Lord, that you would bless each person here with the ability to give. And as opportunities come along, Lord, I pray that we would see your hand of grace and abundance working in our lives individually and in our life as a body here in Methuen. Pray, Lord, that we would be wise, that we would leave here this morning just rejoicing in knowing that you have provided the greatest gift that could ever be given through the Lord Jesus Christ and through his shed blood, and pray that we would honor you and worship you the rest of this day. In Christ's name, amen.